0: One of the reasons why we're talking about sports on this show is because we felt that within entertainment content. Mm -hmm. It's one of the biggest and potentially less tapped places where we can intentionally push cultural change. Yes. Um, Particularly when it comes to acceptance and support of gay and bi and queer Black men. Assuming you agree. Assuming you agree. And I I got a feeling you do. I do. How would you define an opportunity, and where are we capitalizing on it, winning at it, and where are
1: we just not getting it right yet? Well, I will start backwards. First of all, this is so awesome that you're doing this, especially for us. I was just sharing with some friends on another project about how alone I felt when I first came out. Mm. Even though I knew in theory I wasn't alone. Mm Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I saw this gay basketball player by the name of Gabe Caldwell on the cover of this old magazine called Hero Mm. way back in the day. And he was on the cover shirtless with a basketball in his hand. And I I believe he was shirtless, but I definitely remember the basketball. And I remember saying to myself, there's a black man on a gay magazine with a basketball and it's not me. Mm. (laughs) So sports has a tremendous power in it. You know, if Gabe is not on that cover for that magazine, I'm not quite sure if we're here.
0: I am Darnell Moore, and this is Being Seen. An in-depth exploration of culture's role in resolving the tensions between how we are seen and how we see ourselves. Focused on the gay and queer Black male experience, being seen as a space to explore culture with leading artists, writers, activists, and entertainers. If we create nuanced and accurate cultural portrayals of identity and experience, we have an opportunity to reduce stigma and change perception, impacting everything from HIV to institutional inequity. Whether you've watched them, played them, or just felt them, existing in the background, sports are ever-present. They're a fabric that binds people together, connecting them to each other, sometimes across the world, and sometimes just across the street. In athletes, we often see the extraordinary, idealized, and expanded versions of what we are capable of physically and mentally in a construct of the game, the ways in which the body can reach for something beyond its daily language of performance. Sports are also a place of revolution, of political dissent, and of norm-smashing. A space that could command millions of eyes and has the power to reshape national dialogue and demonstrate a language of inclusion. At its best, sports can inspire us to imagine possibilities for our bodies, our minds, and our collective selves. At its worst, sports can reinforce toxic standards, leave us exposed and excluded based on bias and prejudice, LZ Granderson, award-winning sports journalist
1: on what sports is missing and getting beyond gay night. I never want to make these assumptions, but to start backwards from your initial question, we're missing it because we are, think, being satisfied or, or being satisfied with the lesser option. Case in point, an NBA team reached out to me and ask if I would participate in one of their panel discussions for Pride about gay and sports and blah, blah, blah. And I've gotten like a billion of these. I'm sure you've gotten some. I'm sure many of your listeners have gotten some in various capacities. And I was going to type yes, and then I stopped. Mm. And I said to them, I would do it, and I would do it for free if this panel discussion includes one player from the team. Mm. Doesn't need to be the star, doesn't need to be all star, but one player on a team. Because I'm tired of talking about this amongst ourselves. And I'm tired of sports thinking we can just have gay night and now we've checked the box and now we can move on. That's right. It needs to be more intentional, it needs to be more proactive. And so just as we've moved away from acknowledging Black History Month and then going back to our regular schedule program, (laughs) we need to move past gay nights for these sports teams and start digging a little bit deeper in terms of gay leadership, both in terms of executive C-suites offices, but also leadership from the coaching ranks, also leadership within the community ranks, and certainly leadership within the team itself. Like, let's move past, like, the performative aspect of this conversation and move more towards the work. So that's where we're missing it. Because I think a lot of us are still just happy to be here, Mm. that we forget the purpose of us being here. That's right. And what that's supposed to do. So in terms of where we get it right, to my earlier point, we have gay nights. And when I was growing up, the Troy Pistons weren't having no gay nights. (laughs) (laughs) Lions weren't having no gay nights, that I might have helped their attendance. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody in Detroit was having gay nights. Nobody in the country was having gay nights when I was coming up in sports. So that is a huge plus, another huge plus. You know, the environment in sports is more informed. So you're hearing the slurs less. You're f- seeing the toxic masculinity aspects of sports be challenged more. Mm. You're recognizing that you very well could be keeping the next Michael Jordan out of the NBA or the next Tom Brady out of the NFL because that player might actually be gay, but because of the ecosystem that you've created through homophobia, they don't feel comfortable being in that environment. And so we all lose out. That's real. Right? So I think we're getting better at that. And then to your first question, sports was integrated before our military was. Mm. Right. So when you think about something as simple as Jackie Robinson Day, and we just celebrated it um, a couple of weeks ago, it's easy to forget what this country was like for Jackie Robinson, because we're so wrapped up in the feel good stories. Mm. But that brave man stood in front of the world and said, I belong mm. when everyone in the world was saying, basically, no, you don't. And that's exactly what sports can do for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters as well. Give them a platform to say, I have every right to be here and exist as you do.
0: How does the notion of coming out, or as I like to say, inviting in, and everything that goes with it intersect with the pressure of fans and the business of being an athlete? Nate Burleson sports commentator and former NFL wide receiver.
2: Just think about athletes and and uh, just forget about sexual preference for a second. Just an athlete that might be worth $20 million will see a tweet and get so in his feelings about somebody uh, criticizing his game criticizing uh, the way they dress or what they do in the off season, criticizing the money they spend or how they vacation. Uh, one tweet can send an athlete into a spiral. And you know, one tweet can send an average person a spiral too, but we're talking about athletes. So if an athlete is afraid to be judged by a person behind a screen that literally is sitting in their mama's basement tweeting at them, think about the type of fear or anxiety that might set in if they were to quote unquote come out.
0: In order to create change, we need to get into the specifics. How can we better understand the athletes that aren't ready through the lens of the very few that weren't? Jason Collins, former NBA player and second openly gay athlete to play in any of the major professional sports leagues in the United States and Canada. You mentioned the point that some folk just may not be ready, some of these athletes tour men who might also be queer or not a bi or what have you. Yes, right are not ready, walk me back, take us back to where you were when you decided to make the choice to let the public know about your life. Because when you say not ready, it, I imagine that it has something to do with feeling comfortable within the league, but then there's all these other pressures, all these other societal pressures. Yes. Tell, like, walk us through your world at that at that point.
3: Yeah, there's societal pressures, there's the job <laughs> itself, and then there's your your. Your immediate direct, whether it's close, you know, family, friends, that circle that you have, that support, uh, or, or maybe lack thereof support. But I reached a point in my life where I had told my family, I had told my close friends. I never had a doubt that it would get leaked or anything. That's the kind of people that I keep it, you know, in my circle. And I encourage anyone who's listening to this to keep people in your circle who you trust and who will uplift you and will keep you strong. So I reached that point where I told the people who honestly matter the most to me.
2: Mm.
3: And I was very happy in, in Boston. I had a good sister. I was playing for the Boston Celtics that season, 2012, 2013. And in February 2013 i got traded to the washington wizards and it would be like me saying to you darnell uh wait are you in los angeles right now or yes you're in la so it would be me saying to you it actually happened i was we were on the road we were actually here in los angeles and i say okay darnell i need you to move to washington dc and you have 48 hours
0: to do it huh Okay. Yeah, and I'll be like, "Hmm."
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. So that whole upheaval where you have like a good system in place in Boston to okay, I got it. My life is getting upended. But before I moved to Washington D.C., I had to go back to Boston to pack up all my stuff and then get to Washington D.C. So, but you have forty-eight hours to pack up your life, and um, and when I got when I in the process of getting. You know, move, getting moving to DC, I reached out to my agent and I told him that I was I was tired. And every time you go to a new city, new team, new work, new work environment, people ask, "Okay, where are you from? Uh, are you married? Are you single?" Uh, you know, the, the, all those questions that you would ask a coworker. And I got tired of lying. I just got mm-hmm. tired of it. So I told my agent that uh, I'm gay. I want to come out. I'm tired of lying. The people who matter the most to me already know, and they're fine with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, for the most part, they were fine. <laughs> I'll say the one issue, they they loved me and supported me, but I had some people uh, in my family who were from an older generation, which was the, the mindset for them with regards to LGBT is that we love you, but you don't have to talk about it.
1: And then the other part of it is they're certainly can be men who are comfortable with their sexual orientation but not comfortable with their family knowing. Mm. Not comfortable with the church knowing. And so they may have a full and thriving life as an out Black athlete in a lot of different ways. And um, I believe John Amici spoke about this when he came out. Like, he can have community But he's not ready to extend that community or extend the disclosure of which the community that he's a part of is aware of. Mm. So it's not always simply that I'm not comfortable with me being gay. It could be I'm good with it. But my mommy and daddy, who are in their eighties, are not good with it, and I don't want to put that on them and have them have to go to church and answer a bunch of questions that they're not in position to answer. So I'm just going to keep it on the low for their sake.
0: Which not and to the point of how you can change it. So much of that then is not on the athlete, absolutely, and and the franchise. It's it's also on us. It's on us.
2: As a fact, as a fact, you know, you got to you got to find the drip somewhere. You know, and I, I think that's also part of it too. Is you know, telling these stories and allowing us all to, to listen to each other and know, like, if we sit down every person in the NFL, uh, man or woman, I'm guaranteeing there's somebody that they know very close to them or somebody, a, a couple of family members removed that has a different sexual preference than they do, um, whether it's a male or female. So I feel like those stories aren't told enough. And, you know, once people start talking, People start listening. Unless they start listening, that's when understanding comes.
0: For sure. And part of that talking will happen when there is a space created within both um, sports teams and outside. Yeah. Within a public domain where people can feel safe enough to share. No doubt. Before Colin Kaepernick took a knee, Jackie Robinson walked into the Dodgers' field. Althea Gibson stepped onto the U.S. Open Court. Bill Russell of the Boston Celtics boycotted a game. And on the Olympic podium, Tommy Smith and John Carlos raised a fist. Sports has always been a place of protest, a space to fight to be seen for inclusion. Many things, from the lack of out-athletes in the Big Four Leagues to the 35-state bills to block trans athletes, tell us this fight is far from over. Why Kaepernick is for many people, fans, not fans, alike, probably the most recent and remarkable example, there is actually a long, rich history
1: of protests in sports, particularly when it comes to civil rights. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. It's hilarious, right, when people say stick to sports or keep politics out of sports. <laughs> like, this shit's a new phenomenon or something. Exactly. <laughs> I believe that And certainly, you know, historians can check my math on this, but I believe every single Olympics has had at least one country not participate in protest Mm. in the history of the Olympics. Politics has always been a part of sports and it's always been a part of national pride, Mm. which is also closely tied to politics. So Colin Kaepernick didn't start something new, Colin Kaepernick joined his voice to a chorus that began singing many, many centuries ago. That's right. Which is recognizing that because of people's affinity of sports Mm -hmm. and because of the place that sports hold in numerous cultures, not just in American culture, that if you take this opportunity and you maximize those eyeballs and those ears, not only can we celebrate athletic achievement, we can start moving towards human progress as well. Mm -hmm. But to your earlier point and to your question, using sports as a platform for that is a practice that's been around for a very long time. And oh, by the way, in terms of civil rights, keeping black players out of baseball was also a protest in favor of white supremacy. That's right. So that was a protest too. That's right. (laughs) So there was protests to get us in, and there were protests from races to keep us out.
2: You know, I do feel like it's being done more now than it has in the past. You know, I feel like there's been an acceptance of players to um, have a clear understanding that when we put our fist up for Black power, we also need to show our support across the board. This isn't uh, uh, just about color. This is also about religion. This is also about sexual preference. And falling under that category uh, would be support for our brothers that are in that space that, um, that we can support and say, you know what? Their lifestyle might not be our lifestyle, but they still have our full support. You know, I was raised in a household where we have total acceptance for everybody, every color. Every age, every race, every religion, every uh, socioeconomic class. And then around like seven or eight years old, I realized that my uncle was gay. And I was like, oh, man. So uh, this is why my family is so all inclusive is because um, not only through six degrees of separation through friends and family, we know somebody in every space on the spectrum. We have somebody close to us within our family. And he was a proud gay man.
0: Part of dismantling stigma in sports is changing the harmful and confining archetypes it can create about what it is to be a quote-unquote man and the ways in which you can show up in the world, creating a more expansive language that promotes physical, mental excellence and emotional complexity and vulnerability. Jason Collins. But, I mean, I think you can go as far as to say that reimagining, unlearning all of the harmful stuff um, that some of us have taken on as truths, um, these rigid notions of masculinity, um, antagonism against queer folk—that's that just radical too. Would you say so?
3: Well, again, it's it depends on you know where, what you learn as a kid and what you take in. I'll say to those athletes, okay, you are now, especially professional athletes, you are a brand. <laughs> this is big money involved. What do you stand for? What do you want your legacy to be? Do you want to be someone who has open doors? Because a lot of us in professional sports know what it's like to walk into a room, especially because there are so many minorities in professional sports. We know what it's like to walk into a room and be the only Black person in the room or walk into a room and I'm sure you've been, you have this experience where you, you see a bunch of, and you're like, look at, you're like, look at, like, where's the other minority? Like, okay, there are no other black people, but now I'm like going down the list. Are there any, like any other minority? Like, I need to feel like a connection so that, so you know what it's like to be in that experience. And in that moment, how did you want to feel? You wanted to feel welcome. You wanted to feel like you didn't, like you could breathe, like you could relax your shoulders, like you didn't have to be tense and that you didn't have to hide. So now in the locker room where you are the majority and there might be someone, there probably is someone with regards to whether they might be your teammate, might be a coach, might be uh, someone in a trainer, someone in the front office, what kind of environment do you want to create? You want to create that environment of welcoming, of being so that they can, they too can relax and be yeah. themselves. And, and um, yeah, so it, it's just trying to connect on that human level and, and bringing up examples like that to our players of trying to create that environment. And it's so interesting, like, cause you'll have got, and, and again, you'll have allies who, Again, they might try, but they might say the wrong word or they might wrong term, but you sort of just have to like pull them aside and be like, hey, you know, give them the compliment sandwich. Like, hey, you know, I think you did a great job. I love but that you, compliment sandwich. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but when you said this word, <laughs> let's try not to say that word <laughs> going forward. And I know you still got my back. Okay, cool.
2: <laughs> so when straight guys make a choice to just support you don't have to go write a book or deliver a dissertation. You don't have to go down to your local news station and, and, and give a, a report. But if there is an opportunity where somebody's asking you to use your voice or if there's an opportunity for you to stand on the right side of, of a conversation, then I think you have, you have that obligation.
0: And we are not. Except we can hold our own toxic notions and harmful stereotypes too. LZ Granderson, that keep people out of the um, sports environment and also locks people in to a version of themselves that may or may not be representative of their full expansive self, right? So we talk about the protest of um, Kaepernick and taking a knee. But sports is also an industry where stereotypical, other harmful notions of masculinity Mm-hmm. Um, homophobia are often, sometimes celebrated. How can we use that same radical energy, right, to uproot those ideas? And how white, How might the act of embracing more expansive expressions, like what would it look like to use that same radical energy, taking the knee energy, and bring that into the space to make space for queer and bi and gay black men?
1: Wow, that's a huge question. Man, I think I would start off by suggesting that queer black men are also trying to find that answer. And the reason why I say that is because I'll start with myself. I don't want to speak for anyone else. There's a a dude that I am, you know, is As an associate. Like he's not a friend friend. Like we ain't hitting each other up going to the bar or nothing. But when he's at the bar, I say what's up. And he's about six eight, six nine. 6'9". Mm. And every single time I see this this dude, I'm like, How the fuck you ain't a baller? Like don't <laughs> don't let me be six nine. will <laughs> be in the league. Are you kissing? <laughs> uh, he may want to be a dancer. <laughs> well, you know you what? Know? But that's the work that I still am going through. <laughs> and that's the work a lot of us are still going through because it's not just me asking that question. My boys, we also just be like, oh, come on, dog. Like. Give me your height so I can be up in that shit real quick. Dude, seriously, I was like, (laughs) I was like, shoot, I'd be teammates with Braun right now if I was 6'9. Are you kidding me? So I think there's still some work that we need to do. There's still stereotypes that we need to unlearn. Because you're right. He may be a dancer. You know, he may want to use his body in ways other than on the field. And The first step towards freedom is acknowledging that you're captured. (laughs) Mm. I think a lot of us are still trying to find exactly where the bars are. Mm. You know, I know I'm captured, but where, how big is the cell that I'm in? How much freedom do I have within the cell? And where are the limits of this cell? Mm. I'm still doing that due diligence. I think a lot of us are still doing this due diligence because we didn't know we were in this cell for most of our lives.
0: Come on. The stories we tell about sports and athletes, the language we use matters, whether that be as fans or as journalists. We have a responsibility to demonstrate by example that people's intimacies, their private selves, are not something to be used for profit, manipulation, or gain. I wanna read a quote um, from your work. It became apparent to me that part of the barrier to openly gay athletes wasn't simply the people answering the questions, but also people asking the questions. In addition to the support of the press, so there's some work to do there, right? What can um, fans do to create a more equitable and open
1: environment? As watchers, what is our responsibility? Well, I think there are a couple of things at play. Obviously, the easy, low-hanging fruit is you don't use slurs, right? Especially in those environments. But in general, don't use those slurs. But especially in the sports environment, because it has a different connotation in sports. That word threatens to ruin an entire man's life in a way that other fields of employment, that word may not. In Mm -hmm. fact, if that word is directed towards them in other works environments, um, the person who said the word could be dismissed. Mm -hmm. But that's not sports, right? That's not that environment. So I I think that's important to, to note. But I go back to one of the press conferences of the Reagan administration, in which I believe his press secretary was making jokes about people dying of AIDS. Mm. And I bring it up because he was making jokes, but as you know, at a press conference, the room is filled with reporters. There was laughter Mm. to these jokes from the Reagan administration about these people dying of AIDS. So that lets you know where the media was in that conversation both in terms of homophobia, but also just in terms of lack of compassion for people dealing with this awful disease that we still are dealing with. I know sometimes we like to act like it's gone, but like the Rona, HIV is not gone. That's right. It's treated. So, that aside, homophobia in sports media was way more real when I was first beginning in this industry. I had sports editors not hire me because I was gay, and they told me that to my face. I've had sports editors call me faggot. I've had sports editor tell me that he wasn't going to send a faggot into the locker room. I've had people take assignments from me and assign it to other people that I suspect was based upon their own homophobia. Mm. So homophobia in sports journalism was very real for me growing up. And today, it's better. It's not gone but it's better. We have LGBTQ people in front of the camera, behind the camera, making decisions. The reason why I won't go full bore is behind us now is because I still see all the glass ceilings.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's because I don't see any openly gay athletes in our major sports. I don't see openly gay coaches, even though I know coaches who are gay. Mm. So, It's better, but it's not where it needs to be. I know there are people who are closeted who may be cool with people knowing, but what they don't want are the ignorant questions from sports journalists peppering them at every single stop along the way. You go on a five-game road trip, you got to talk about you being gay for five nights in a row. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. And they don't want that. So in order for sports journalism to become better... In this space, we have to separate the legitimate newsworthiness of someone coming out from the sensational aspect of, ooh, there's a gay person in the locker room. There's a gay person in the showers. We got to move away from those questions and that line of thinking and treat it more like the news story that it is and less like the salacious gossip rag that oftentimes we turn to because we know that's excellent clickbait.
0: Well, I want to say that you have a lot to do with that turn in sports journalism, along with some others that we can name, but I, you're on this, on this chat with me now, so I'm tell you while I see you. Thank you for your work and thank you for your voice. At times, we are all afraid of judgment, of perception, of the ways in which the people we need to back us might suddenly not be there? How can we help others to be brave, reward vulnerability? And how can we empathize with what it is to hold this space and culture and better understand the ways in which every voice, every cheer, every word of support changes this game?
2: Yeah, it does, 100%. Um, most of the times, like Darnell was saying, what you identify with an athlete is bravado, masculinity, toughness, even bravery to a certain extent. Um, what is attached to all of those things is sensitivity. I, I feel like athletes and entertainers are the most sensitive people on the planet. Um, and it's because, one, uh, they have been talented for so long. So they have been criticized and also very critical of themselves. Certain athletes are very good at turning off that switch and and. and and putting those blinders on and those earmuffs on. Majority of the athletes, I feel like, can't do it. No matter how hard they try, they can't do it. They're too sensitive, which is why they pay attention to every tweet when they shouldn't, which is why they they could hear a a thousand cheers in the stands, but they hear that one person that tells them they suck.
0: It sounds like my life. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah that's a fact but that's that's everybody we we are all oh we are all very very sensitive creatures and athletes are at the top of the list 100 percent. so you know there's there's uh there's this connection i feel like between the athlete the athlete's heart and the fan base and those things will always be inextricably intertwined and because of that regardless of what an athlete is going through He's going to feel whatever the fan is feeding them, whether it's praise, which we love, um, and that's what builds us up and makes us seem bigger than life, or it's the, the confrontation of criticism, which we all deal with on a very human level. Uh, and, I, and I think when it comes to coming out, that sensitivity plays a role. And I, and I said at the beginning of this episode, there's a fear that sets in. There's a fear of being judged. There's a fear of, of letting people down around you. But I just feel like you only got one life to live. So, and I know that sounds very cliche, but if I can give anybody advice, like we got one lap around this thing, man. Like, do it your way. Do it your way and hope that the people running next to you are gonna run with you. You know what I'm saying? Like don't jump off the track. Don't be so caught up in your own anxiety, in your own fear, and the judgment of others and really others who have no like idea of the shoes that you walk in and others that will have no lasting impact on your life or your happiness don't let them stop you from finishing this race the way you want to run it you know whether it's how you play who you sleep with it doesn't like this is this is your life so run it run it the way you want to run it because the moment you get off and you sit there and question yourself you're like you know what i'ma just I'm gonna curl up into this ball and I'm gonna just, I'm gonna hope they stop looking at me and stop judging me and stop. Regardless, like, they're always gonna be there. The haters are always gonna be in the stands. Listen. So run your race. And you'll be surprised once you run with pride and you run with, like, the energy that you want to approach it with. You live your life the way that you want to approach it with. I'm talking about with absolute firmness. Be ten toes down wherever you are and stand in your truth. you would be surprised how many people's Stand right next to y'all, you look around and you be like, damn, I didn't even know 50 people were next to me <laughs> and behind me. And we're like, yeah, we've been riding with you the whole time. Like, I got you, fam. Here,
0: we believe in agency. In our own power, as watchers, as communities, as audiences. The way we turn our eyes or ears to something is a statement. Sports, like all entertainment needs us, we feel it stands We speak its cheers and we call the players' names. Our collective pressure to move sports beyond once-a-year Pride nights, disavow journalists who write for salacious clicks, and love on players who are supportive creates change and possibility. The possibility that the millions of households across this country will find the player they most love, the one they most root for, that is something they aspire to be, also happens to be a gay, queer, or maybe non-binary Black man. Being Seen is produced by Harley and & Company and Darnell Moore and created in partnership with Veeve Healthcare.
2: Theme music is provided by Moses Sumney.